week is so peaceful. Hey, you guys look awesome. Better than you did last week. I don't know if you've been doing push-ups or what you've been doing, but you look really good. Um, like I said earlier, we are going to be in Matthew chapter 8. You can go ahead and flip to verse 23. That is where we're going to start. As you know, we've been in Matthew for a minute or two. Uh, but to recap what happened last week, remember we talked about the power of Jesus. There was a dude with leprosy. He ran, came before Jesus, fell down. He says, Lord, I know you can, only if you will, please heal me. And Jesus reaches out. He heals the dude of leprosy. Um, his leprosy disappears. He's healthy again. If he didn't have a hand, maybe his hand grew back. We don't really know how that worked. But that happened. Then a centurion soldier comes to him. And he says, hey, I have a friend back home who is suffering from paralysis. If you will speak it only at one of your words, I know he will be healed. Jesus says, let the dude be healed. The dude is healed. Then he walks into Peter's mother-in-law's house who happens to be sick. She doesn't even ask to be fixed. Jesus reaches out and touches her. The fever leaves her. And she gets up and she starts serving Jesus. So we're picking up right after that. We are going to skip over verses 18 through 22, not because they're not important, but because we, we went through that lesson together the beginning of August when we started All Strings Attached, when we talked about the cost of discipleship. So we're not going to go back over that so soon. We're going to continue talking about Jesus' Jesus's authority and Jesus' identity. Who is this Jesus? Because we've all got a vague idea, right? We've grown up in the South, the majority of us, so we've heard about who Jesus is. But are, are our perceptions or are our ideas of who Jesus is accurate with the Jesus of the Bible? Because, you know, there's nothing worse than thinking one thing and then the truth being something else. How, raise your hand if you've ever got a Christmas or a birthday present that you thought was one thing and you opened it and were extremely disappointed because it was something totally different. I've been there. Thought I was getting a four-wheeler for like 12 years of my life. It never happened. Year 13, though... It was on. I broke it about two weeks later. It was awesome. And then Big Glenn broke me with his belt. Uh, but, have, I mean, that's terrible. I'm going to tell you about this other time that I thought one thing was going to happen and something totally different happened. This is going to be really gross, okay? Internalize this. Don't throw up. Back in the day when I was an educator slash coach before I retired from the public education system of the state of Mississippi, um... There were a couple of other coaches who would always come hang out in my room. Not because I was the coolest guy, but because they knew I would not be doing anything. Probably not teaching, probably watching YouTube. Um, so they would come hang out, especially on free period. And we all drank coffee. And as you know, I drink my coffee black. That's how I'm so manly. They say it would make your voice deeper. So something obviously is not true with that. And uh, so there's several of us in there, uh, several different coaches and then some other guys. I had two coffee cups in my room. This is going to be dis disgusting. I'm going to tell you why. One of them I drank coffee out of. One of them was for my friend who did things he should not on school premises. He, you, he would love to get him just a big dip in the middle of the day. Also at the beginning of the day and also at the end of the day. Pretty much all throughout the day. I mean, he would just throw him a big old bullhorn in before, <laughs> like this. And he always used one of my coffee cups to spit his dip into because he, he couldn't let the school officials know that he was dipping. So there would be a little bit of black coffee in there, and he would turn it up like he was drinking, and he would just spit down into it. And something happened. 
It's off period. It's about fourth period. He's sitting down behind my desk. I'm standing in front of my desk. I was mad about something, telling a story. I was just, I was in it. You know how I can get, I'm extra at points and times of the day. And uh, I was talking and I had set my actual coffee mug down somewhere. But I had got so into what I was saying, I picked up the wrong coffee mug. And when I threw it back, I had all of his spit for like the past two days. And I, just, I, couldn't, I could not control what happened next. I just went, and he's sitting. He's where Chloe is, and I'm here. Everything that I had in my mouth was going down his face, down his, all of his shirt. I think he was wearing a like, light green shirt that day. It is now stained with tobacco. My spit and his tobacco is running down his face. I, was, I didn't know if I was going to throw up, but I was pretty sure he was about to. But it was his own fault. I thought it was going to be coffee. However, it was another man's spit. And it was rough. And this is wrong, but for a moment in my head, I was like, man, that's almost like kissing somebody else. (laughs) And I can't handle that right now. And uh, so, like, sometimes when things don't go the way we thought, it can be a terrible situation. And it is the same thing with us and Jesus. When he turns out to not be who we thought he was, it is a terrible situation between us and him, right? And it's not, it is never his fault. It is always what we do. It is always our misconception of who Jesus is. He doesn't live up to this fake standard that we put on him, and that's what we pick up today. So I'm going to read these verses for us, and then we'll break them down. We're going to start at verse 23. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm in the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waters. I like that word. But he was asleep. See, this tells you. Naps are very healthy. They're very spiritual. So if you ever get an opportunity to take a nap, you need to get all over that. And then it says, and they went and woke him up. First thing, don't wake somebody up from a nap. That's also, that is neither here nor there. Nothing to do with what we're talking about. But don't wake anybody up from a nap. Or danger could follow. And they wake up and they say, save us, Lord, because we are perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he, then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? And when he came to the other side, to the country of the, I can't say that G word, so we are going to say Oak Grove, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs. And when they came out of the tombs, they were so fierce that no one could pass that way. That's intense. We'll get to that in a minute. Verse 29. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now I heard of... This is when the story just gets real spicy. Spicier than anything you're watching on Netflix. Now a herd of many pigs was feeding from a distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of the pigs. That is not probably the place that I would be asked to send to. But whatever. I'm not a demon. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and they went to the pigs. And behold, the whole herd of pigs rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. And the herdsmen fled. And going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. 
And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us. God, thank you for the power of your word. God, we believe that it is true. God, it is inspired by you. There is no error in it. God, we believe that it is the thing that is still changing lives. So God, as we open it up, God, as we read through it, as we discuss what is going on, God, we're praying for life change. God, we're praying for correction, for conviction. God, we're, we're praying that you'll save someone in this place tonight. God, it's by no accident that you have this group together. So God, do what only you can do. Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see you, ears to hear you, and hearts that are ready to believe. Father, what you want to give, we receive, and we receive what you want to give. Jesus, we exalt your name and your name alone, and we are completely dependent on you. God, please save these students. And God, use them to change the world. God, it's all for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So first off, we're going to walk through some of these verses, then we're going to talk about what's going on, how it applies to us now. Um, A.W. Tozer says this really cool thing. If you don't know him, he's an old dude who used to preach and write books. However, he is dead now, so you can't go find him. He said this. He says, what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about us. Not our hair, even though that is semi-important. Not our height, which is not very important at all. Not our gifts, not our talents, not our abilities, not our GPA, not how good of an athlete we are, not how good of a singer we are, not how good of a person we are. But the most important thing about us is what comes to our mind when we think about God. And this is what that intro was all about. We thought we were getting one thing, but we got something completely different. But when we have right thoughts about who God is, we are more okay with the things of this life because we know that God is in control. It's hard for God to let us down when we know exactly who he is because we trust in his plan. We trust in his faithfulness. And what our goal is tonight is that we'll kind of wade through some of the misconceptions that we have about Jesus and we'll look in his word to see who his word says he is, who he says he is, and maybe we can leave here with a little bit better understanding and a better idea of who Jesus is. Because I'm afraid that some of us have our salvation based on a Jesus that is not the Jesus of our Bible, but the Jesus of our imagination. And we're going to try to get away from that the best that we can tonight. But it starts in uh, verse 23. Um, it says, Jesus gets into the boats and his disciples followed him. See, this is the cool thing. If you claim to be a disciple of Jesus, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, if you claim to be saved, if you claim to be Jesus, then you should be following him wherever he goes. But that's not what we're talking about tonight. That's just what's happened in verse 23. But we're going to get past that. We'll come back to it later. Verse 24 and 25, it talks about this, this massive storm that blows up. See, the cool thing about this is these dudes are fishermen. They grew up on the water fishing. They have been on a boat in a storm before. They should not be afraid. And in the original language, it talks about this storm being much more than a number, normal storm. This is like Hurricane Dorian and Katrina together, just hitting this little boat. And they are freaking out, which lets us know even when we are obe obedient and following Jesus the way that we should, life is not going to be easy. There are some pastors who are terrible at what they do that tell you when you follow Jesus, everything is going to be okay because he's going to make everything work out for you. They never read their Bible before. Because I don't know if you've been through the New Testament. Life was not easy for the disciples. Life was not easy for Jesus. Life was not easy for Paul. 
Christians that you know, life is not easy for them. Sometimes, by sometimes, I mean every time when you follow Jesus, there are going to be moments of life that are absolutely terrible. But that's not what we're talking about tonight either. But that's what's happening in verse 24 and 25. But then in verse uh, 26, it gets huge. It says, Jesus gets up. He rebukes the disciples first. He says, oh, you of little faith. But then something awesome happens. It says this in verse 26. In the back half of it, it says, then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. I want you to think about the strongest person you know. Get me off your mind. Think of somebody else. Smile. Saw it. Except he won. He's like, he is. Can that person go outside until the rain stops raining and it stops? Can that person like walk out to the ocean like with the waves coming in like just like try to slap them back and the waves like run away from them? No, that doesn't happen. There is something different about this dude named Jesus. So different that the people who've been following him still don't have a complete comprehension of who he is. And that's why I think a lot of us are. Because in verse 27, they say this. They say, what sort of man is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? They just saw him heal a leper and his limbs grow back. They were just there when he said the person who couldn't walk anymore, they could get up and walk. They were there when he reached out and touched Peter's mother-in-law and her fever left her. But they're still not completely sure about who Jesus is. And that's a lot of us because we've been here. We've been to camp. We've experienced some cool things. We've seen some awesome things happen. We've seen Jesus save people, do incredible things. But we're still not 100% sure who he is. So that's the basis of where we are going to be tonight. Is who, basically what they're saying is, who is this man? Healing people is one thing, but... The wind and the waves, that's completely different. And then we're going to continue the story and we'll come back to this question, who is this man? And they get to where they're going, which apparently was Oak Grove, which was about six miles from where he healed all these people. And two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs and they were so fierce that no one could pass by or pass their way. I have a weird imagination. So I'm imagining these guys running around with like no shirts on. And every time somebody tries to walk down this road, they're just like flopping their arms at them, like knocking them off the road. And me having small person syndrome, I'm like, oh, nobody can pass through there. Watch this. I'm getting down this road somehow. Me and Campbell would go together. We'd show them what's up. That, like that one time we played basketball and you were on my team. Remember that? Dominated. Dominated. I was a younger man then. Couldn't move for three months after. Thought my ACL was tore. Uh, but it's good now. Um, anyway, like these demons possessed people, they're just like freakishly strong because demons can do stuff like that. And no, like nobody's using this road anymore. And you know how, and that is extremely inconvenient. Do you want to know how I know that? Because I've been waiting on this stupid bridge to be fixed wherever it is right here. I cannot use that road and it's extremely inconvenient. Because I got to go, I got to drive like one minute out of the way. But dang, that's the longest one minute of my life. I hate it. So it's inconvenient for everybody here. But listen, it doesn't say that Jesus engages a conversation with this guy. It doesn't say that Jesus is walking up saying, hey, I'm Jesus. Jesus is just walking up. And the demon-possessed men engage him in a conversation. This is what they say in verse 29. It says, and behold, they cried out. This is the demons we're talking about. 
I know that demons are weird. You're like, I don't know about that. Hey, there's stuff going on in this world we just don't understand. This world's a lot scarier than we may see at face value. But Satan is real. Hell is real. His demons are real. Evil is real. That's why Jesus came to save. But then it goes on to say this. It says, And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us? And this is cool. Because they address Jesus as who he really is. Nobody had to tell them. They see him and they say, What do you have to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? See, the demons know who Jesus are. They, they knew him before he entered into, into earth. They knew him before he was born in flesh. And when they see him, they address him as who he really is. The Son of God, these demons can answer the question that the people walking with Jesus could not. They say, who is this man? But the demons clearly know who he is. He's the Son of God. And they say, have you come to torment us before the time? Listen, all of creation has to be obedient to whatever Jesus says. They know if he speaks a word, they have to obey, no matter what it is. That's why they come with this plea. Hey, you see those pigs over there? This is where it gets really weird. And we'll get to what we're really going to talk about. See these pigs over there? Will you send us into them? And Jesus tells them to go. And what do they do? It says they go into the pigs, right? Because they have to be obedient. There is no option for disobedience for them. Because this is the Son of God. Just like the wind and the waves had to obey, they had to obey. They go into the pigs. And just some really weird stuff happens. Pigs can't fly apparently. They dive off the side of the cliff. They die in the same sea that tried to kill the disciples the night before, which is pretty cool. And then people, like, they run into town to tell everybody what had went on. Because, I mean, if a bunch of pigs ran off the side of the cliff, I would also go gossip about that as well. And then this is what they say in verse 34. The people, they came. It says that they begged him to leave their region. They basically, they begged Jesus just to get out of their life. But oftentimes, Jesus, because of the misconception that we have of who Jesus is, he does some things that bothers us so bad, we really don't want him in our life at all. Forget that he set these two people that were possessed free. We don't rejoice over that, but we're mad about the pigs. But what, when you think about Jesus, what comes to your mind? Back to the A.W. Tozer quote. Who is this man in verse 27? Like when you think about Jesus, what do you get in your head? Please don't tell me skinny white dude. Because that is not accurate. He was not American. But I'm not getting on to that right now. Also not skinny. Like what do you think about when you think about Jesus? Don't yell it out. I'm just trying to get you to start thinking about it. Because I want us to talk about three common misconceptions that we have about Jesus. He must be this. So when he is not that, we get frustrated and we don't want him anywhere in our lives whatsoever. Because he doesn't live up to the false hype that we put on him. The first misconception that we have is we believe Jesus is a wishing well. We believe Jesus is a wishing well. We believe that he is supposed to give us whatever we ask for. Because there's a lot of preachers who aren't good at their job, don't read the whole Bible. They will take pieces of Scripture and make us believe if only we had enough faith, Jesus 
The God of the universe who created all things will do whatever we want him to do. Which is just crazy. And completely false. And then sometimes we believe if Jesus isn't giving us exactly what we want, we must not be acting right enough. So we try to modify some of our behavior so God will love us more and give us exactly what we want. Because after all, he's a wishing well who's supposed to give us just anything that our hearts may desire. And we get so frustrated at unanswered prayers that God gives us. We're just like, will you just get out of my life? Or I don't want you around. But that's not Jesus at all, and that's not prayer either. Because what prayer, the most powerful thing about prayer is not making God come in alignment with our desires, but it's God making us come in alignment with his desires. That is what prayer is all about. It's not about getting what we want. Because I can assure you right now, if you have not had one of these moments yet, when you get a little bit older, you will. There are going to be some unanswered prayers in your life that are going to be one of the most greatest things of praise and thankfulness when you get older. There are prayers that I prayed that I, got, I was like, God, I, I kind of know what I need in my life. I know what's best for me. I know you're God, but hey, I'm me. And now sitting on the very last couple days of 31, I'm extremely thankful that he did not answer those prayers because I know that he knows better than me. And those things would have wrecked me. But a lot of times we get mad at Jesus because he doesn't answer our prayers the way that we think that he should. But he is not a wishing well. He's God. He has a plan even though we may not see it. We may not understand it. And just because we feel a little pain doesn't mean he doesn't care. And we'll talk about that in a minute. So if you've been struggling and wonder why God is not giving you all that you wanted. It may be because what you want is not what you need. And maybe the change needs to come on your end and how you actually view Jesus. He's, because you've heard me say this a thousand times. He's not genie who has to give you what you want. He's not Santa Claus and that you have to act right for him to be there for you. That's not how that works. So the first misconception that we have is we believe that Jesus is a wishing well. The second one is that we believe Jesus is non-exclusive. And I had to think of a good way to say this, and non-exclusive was the easiest one I could come up with. Now, I might say some of the things that I really wanted to say, but they won't be on the screen. And you know, everybody knows what non-exclusive is, right? Yes, we want to have an open relationship with Jesus. Let's just be honest. Because we are crazy enough and this is, this is rough. To treat Jesus more like he's a side piece than the love of our life. Like Jesus, we're all about you. We love you. But we got, these other, we got these other side pieces as well. Think about it. I'm not saying this is you. You've got a... Because you know I don't love dating. But hey, it happens. You're going to do it. Still don't like it. You're dating somebody from another school. And on the weekends and maybe some weeknights, you are all about that person. You're lovey-dovey. You take really cool pictures and put it on Instagram. You send them like a thousand hearts. And really cute pictures that you've used four filters on. That you took 14 times. And you still look a little weird. But then you go to school... 
and you got somebody there that you flirt with way harder than you flirt with the person that you love so much. And you might have one in first period. You might have one in third period. Maybe there's one at lunch. Maybe there's one in the parking lot before school. Maybe there's one after school in the parking lot. Or maybe you guys have like this place that you like to meet up. I don't know. I can tell you that is a very, very bad way to date and a very, very good way to get in a lot of trouble. Not saying I've learned from experience, but I just heard about it once. But the crazy thing about that is we treat Jesus the same way. Because, man, he's got us on the weekend at least one day. And we give him at least one night. But we've got all these other people throughout the week that get the best of us. And they might not be people. They may be sins. But we treat Jesus the exact same way. And tr- like, if I were just to describe you, there's this one person who loves the other one unconditionally, but this one person keeps running around on them. You're like, this person should leave them. Can we get a vote? Should the person leave them? A bunch of you are some cheaters. You're like, I can't say yes because I am that other person. <laughs> they should leave. Jesus has every right to leave us, but he doesn't. Because listen, God not so, God, yes, God is completely faithful to the absolute end. And Romans 8 tells us that there is nothing in all of creation that can separate us from God's love. But trust me, it's not because you are awesome. God is faithful to Christ in you, not just you. So the first misconception that we have is we believe that Jesus is a wishing well. The second misconception that we have is that we believe that Jesus is non-exclusive. And the third one is we believe that Jesus just doesn't care. And there's two different ways to look at that. This, the first one is he doesn't really care how we live our life as long as we stay away from the big sins, don't cuss in front of adults, and show up to church every now and then. But you can look all through the scripture. Not one time does Jesus describe a disciple as that. But we think Jesus really doesn't care about us as long as we don't say the big bad words. As long as we show up for church. As long as we do anything but have sex, we're still okay. But I can assure you Jesus cares way more than that. And the other we think Jesus doesn't care for us, maybe it's because he's not answering those prayers. Or maybe it's because we don't feel that he's close. Or maybe because he, we think he doesn't care about us because we see the relationship that somebody else has with him and we want that so bad, but he must not care about us because I can't have that. But I can assure you, anybody that is walking with Jesus is working on that relationship. It doesn't just happen. And if you ever get to the point where you start to doubt that, God, that Jesus really cares about you or that Jesus isn't enough, all you got to do is look to the cross. How can you say Jesus does not care if he stepped out of glory, he stepped out of eternity into this mess, bore all of our sin, all of our shame, was beaten, hung on a cross, and died for us so that we may be set free and then walked out of the grave three days later? How can he not care if he was willing to do that? Like the father loves you so much that he killed the son. 
The son loves you so much, he was willing to lay down his life so that you could have life. How could Jesus not care about you or the way that you live your life? But see, what the devil will do, remember, he's not always going to try to destroy you in one fell swoop. He's just, he's just going to distract you until you destroy yourself. And if he can distract you by making you believe that Jesus is a wishing well, he's going to do it. If he can distract you by making you believe that Jesus is non-exclusive, he'll do it. If he can distract you by making you believe that Jesus doesn't really care, he's going to do that too. But these things aren't who Jesus is. Not at all. The reason that we know that is because when he spoke, leprosy listened. When he spoke, paralysis listened. When he spoke, the winds listened. When he spoke, the waves listened. When he spoke, the demons listened. If he's just a wishing well, that stuff's not going to happen. If he's non-exclusive, those things aren't going to happen. If he doesn't care, those things aren't going to happen. But the Bible, like, we believe that God's word is true, right? Yes or no? No errors, right? It is all inspired by God. It is true. It is powerful. It is profitable. If that is true, then what it says about Jesus should be who Jesus really is, correct? Absolutely. In Genesis, Jesus is the provided sacrifice. In Exodus, he's the living water. In Isaiah, he is the suffering servant. In Hosea, he is the faithful redeemer. In Micah, he is the light. In Matthew, he's the savior. In Mark, he is the son of God. In John, he is the creator of all things. In 1 Peter, it says that he is our advocate. And this is what Jesus says about himself. If you have a Bible, flip it to Revelation chapter 21. This is a beautiful thing, and I will not cry at all. In Revelation 21, 5, this is what Jesus says to describe himself. It says, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. Like Jesus has wiped away every tear at this point. He's taken away all pain. Death is no more. He is saying it is finished. And he says this about himself. I am the alpha and the omega. I'm the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. To the one who conquers will have this heritage and will be, I will be his God and he will be my son. Like Jesus is saying, this is who he is. Uh, a wishing well cannot make these promises. Someone who is non-committal, who is non-exclusive cannot make these promises. Someone who does not care is not going to wipe away all the tears. Someone who does not care is not going to take away pain. Someone who does not care is not going to do away with death. Someone who does not care is not going to take your place so that you can have life. Like this is who Jesus is. The reason that leprosy obeys is because like it says in John, he's God. The reason that paralysis and fever obey is because he's God. The reason the winds and the waves obey is because he's God and he created them. The reason the demons obeyed when he said go is because they didn't have an option because he has all dominion and authority over them. 
And I completely comprehend that all of creation obeys every word that God speaks. Because when he told the sun to shine, it did. When he told the stars to go in the sky, they did that. When he tells the trees to grow, it happens. When he tells the waves where to stop, that's where the waves stop. When he tells a heart to beat, it beats. I'm not concerned about those things. What I want to know is when God speaks to you and he calls to you, are you obedient? Do you listen? Because I thoroughly believe that God has called some of you guys to something. But you're not 100% sure who Jesus is, if he is enough, if he cares enough for you to commit your whole life to. And I can assure you that he is. Some of you, he's called you to salvation, but you are so afraid of trying to save yourself, you won't submit to him. You're so afraid of what other people think, you won't submit to him. Some of you, God has called you out into a leadership position, but you're so afraid of what that all entails, you won't give that to him. God is calling you to have a gospel-centered conversation with somebody at school, but you're too afraid to talk to him about Jesus because really you're not 100% sure who he is anyway. Some of you have called, God, God has called some of you to press a little bit harder in worship, but you're afraid to lift your hands because you're not 100% sure of who Jesus is anyway. This is who Jesus is. He is the creator of all things. He is God himself who loves you so much that while you are still a sinner, he came to take your place on a cross so that you may be set free. Remember, if you're going to remember anything, it should be this one, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of Christ. If you can write one piece of scripture on your heart, take that one. That is who Jesus is. He is the one who took our place so that we could take his. So we're closing this thing up. Are you listening to his voice? And are you being obedient? Why don't you close your eyes? We're going to close this out the way we have the past two weeks. I'm going to give you the opportunity to pray. And if you need to repent for not being obedient to the things God has called you to, this is the time for that. If you need to, to cry out to Jesus, God, I'm sorry that I've had these misconceptions of who you are, then now is the time for that. You can pray in your seat. You can pray here at the altar. But I'm going to pray for us and you can stay sitting there or you can move. But I just ask that you will pray that God will speak to your heart. And then Ty is going to lead us. We're going to sing a song. Then we're going to break out groups. Please don't leave. Please be a part of the breakout groups because it is one of the most important things that we do. God, thank you for how you love us.